Well, good morning, Harvest Bible Fellowship family and friends. We are so glad that each and every one of you could join in with us today. And uh, we're so thankful that uh, you've been faithful during the coronavirus. And we're thankful that uh, you uh, come in and watch every week. And uh, we cannot wait. I'm just telling you. I hope you all are well, but I cannot wait till next Sunday morning, July 5th. And it is going to be our first Sunday back in our facility, uh, seeing everybody live in Technicolor in person. And uh, we're so thankful for that opportunity that we're looking forward to. And I hope that every one of you can join us. It's going to be a little bit different, uh, a little bit different to norm for a period of time. And uh, you'll be getting an email very shortly about some of the guidelines that we're going to practice as we come back together. And uh, I know that some of you are really have, uh, uh, have a strong opinion about wearing a mask. Some of you don't have an opinion about wearing a mask and you don't want to. And uh, I'm just going to tell you that some will have some masks and some may not. But the reality is we want every one of you to, that feels comfortable to come to be here. And uh, we want you to celebrate our regathering together in person. And we want you to just enjoy the fellowship and the ability to see one another and to encourage one another, and I hope that you give them a, an air high five, and an air fist bump, and an air elbow bump, and maybe a whatever, but uh, you get the idea. We're going to try to practice some social distancing as much as possible, and uh, go ahead and slide that across your mic. Thanks, man. And uh, we're, we hope that you're going to be able to stay with us and do some uh, social distancing and so forth, And uh, but the bottom line is we cannot wait to come together. We cannot wait to see each and every one of you. And uh, to know that uh, you know you're healthy because not just because someone said you are, but because we see you, and so and so we're uh, we're looking forward to it very much, and uh, we want to see everyone as much as possible and so forth. Hey, Bill Zimmerman, uh, I know you watch every week faithfully, and uh, hey, hope you're having a great day today. So, at any rate, um, I know a lot of other a lot of others are are also watching faithfully every week. Thank you for doing that. And uh, so forth. So, uh, thank you to every one of you who has helped put things back together during our renovation and remodel and so forth. Uh, let me just say, Ed Tracy, thank you so much for helping to lay the floor. And uh, I know he's going to come back and kind of help us finish that up on Monday or Tuesday night. If you got some free time, guys of Harvest, and you're in, in the area... Uh, you don't, you're not tied up Monday night. We could use your help a little bit just to help glue down the floor, help to lay some pieces in place. Uh, around 6.30 or so, I'm guessing, or 6 o'clock, I'm guessing, somewhere in that time frame. Uh, we'll kind of let that be known as it draws closer tomorrow. Um, but if you have some free time, come on over. Uh, ben and Brian have been doing some projects around the stage area, getting some things ready for Paul's organ to get back on stage and hooked up, get built the shelves and everything. Uh, Reed did some wiring and soldering of all the microphone cables. That was a job. Thanks, Ben, for doing all that. Uh, that was just a huge blessing and a huge help. And so thank you for all that. Teresa, Aaron, others of you have come by, have cleaned, and have vacuumed the chairs probably for the 24th time. Uh, not literally, but at least four times I know of. And uh, it just seems like the dust just kept come coming out of it from all the drywall that we did. But uh, we are to a sweet end, not a bittersweet end, but a sweet end, and uh, we're looking forward to it, and we're looking forward to the surprise of many of you who have not seen what's been taking place during the coronavirus, being able to come back and rejoice together over what God has allowed us to do. So we're excited about that. And then as we get started this morning in our message, before we do that, I do want to take a moment and pray, uh, but let me just... Uh, share with you just one special prayer request if I could. Um, Don's grandmother passed away yesterday afternoon. Uh, it was kind of a bittersweet day yesterday as it was awesome to watch our daughter graduate. Congratulations, Andrea. Um, Annie has accomplished a great task in completing all the years of, uh, of a high school and we're so thankful for what God is doing in her life and the plans that he has laid out for her. And uh, yesterday she received a scholarship that was in the field of uh, health care. And that's exactly what she's wanting to go into, Lord willing. And uh, so she'll be starting schooling in the fall uh, for that. And But along with graduation yesterday, just as we were coming out, we received a phone call that 
Don's grandmother uh, had passed away, and uh, all I can say is that she beat us there. She graduated to heaven. And we look forward to seeing her again one day when we all get there. But for now, she's going to enjoy the benefits because God's Word tells us to be absent of the bodies, be present with the Lord. And we're thankful that she is celebrating in heaven today. And uh, so we'll be heading out after this message this morning uh, or sometime this afternoon heading to Mississippi. So we covet your prayers. Pray for Don's dad and mom as they are already on their way. They should be there uh, tomorrow afternoon or so. So we'll be praying for Don and Lorraine as they as they are traveling right now. And I personally believe that a lot of what we're seeing as far as the deaths of the as a, due to the coronavirus are taking place in nursing homes. And my personal opinion of that is because they're just isolated. They're alone. And uh, they're, they don't have people coming in, visiting them like regularly. Uh, you know, other, other symptoms are arising. And the loneliness is hurting a lot of our nursing homes. So if you would pray for those that you know that are in a nursing home. Uh, pray for those who are insisted living. They're not getting visitors. They're not eating together with even their roommates. They're kind of being isolated in their rooms and uh, un unable to go anywhere or receive company and visitors. And it's just a tough, tough time for many of them. And uh, some of you have maybe have friends or family members that have experienced uh, the problems that are related to the coronavirus. I uh, just, just ask you to pray for them. Just remember them in prayer as often as God brings it to your attention and to your memory. And then also just for our area churches, as many of us are thinking about planning on how to come back together. As I said, some will have masks uh, during the service, some will not. If you got an opinion, uh, it's probably best kept alone and to yourself uh, during those times. We don't want to be a place of disharmony, but a place of harmony and unity. And so I know some of you don't want to wear a mask, and some of you think everyone should wear a mask. And so let's respect each other's opinions as we come back. And uh, we will practice social distancing. We will practice uh, being sanitized or hand sanitation and so forth. We'll be spraying down the, the auditorium and uh, actually have an ozone generator to destroy any viruses that could be present during, uh, during this time. So we're going to do everything that we can to be safe and to be healthy. And we ask that you do the same as you come in. And so, but we want to see you all. So before we get started in the message this morning, let me just take a moment and pray. And I ask the Lord's blessing on the message as we uh, go forward here. Lord God, we just come before you this morning. We thank you so much already for what's been shared. Thank you for Mike's lesson this morning. It was just an excellent message, Lord, from Proverbs. I pray, God, that you help us to apply the things that we've heard. Uh, God, for Jim's devotional and the fact that nothing is impossible. That, God, you are a God of possibility. And uh, you are a great God, a powerful God. And may we never forget that God. And Lord, as we were able to sing this morning and to worship you and to hear music lifted up to your name, I ask God that you just rejoice in that. Help us to find our peace and our comfort and our encouragement through you, Lord, and what you are doing. And so I ask God that you would just meet with us, that you would be with us, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, as we come before you in this time of prayer, God, we ask that you would just be with, uh, Lord, so many that are struggling, Lord, around the world. Lord, I know in our own families, Lord, just... Uh, Lord, we've had those who have been, Lord, not directly affected by the coronavirus as far as they don't have the virus, but the virus has caused other issues, Lord. I think especially those who are in nursing homes and insisted living, Lord, they don't get the, the visitors and they're not getting the attention and they're not getting the, the, the mental stimulation in their brains, God, and it's just causing another host of problems, uh, loneliness and fear and isolation, God. I just pray that you be especially with those folks today, Lord, as they are going through so much, Lord, in, in loneliness and, and being alone and away from family, Lord. I pray also, Lord, for those who have been directly affected by it, Lord. We know that there have been some, Lord, who have, uh, Lord, have all kinds of different symptoms as a result of uh, experiencing that, Lord, loss of uh, taste and smell and, Lord, the bronchitis-type uh, symptoms, Lord, of the coughing and the hacking, Lord. We just pray that you just give their bodies the, the ability to overcome, Lord, to be healthy, to be safe, and Lord, as we come together, God, we ask that you would help us to be safe, help us to be healthy. And I pray, God, that no one would uh, get the virus, Lord, and that it would not be transmitted. Lord, I just pray that you would just give those that are in positions of, of, of research and study, Lord, the ability to help us overcome that. And Lord God, we ask that you would uh, be glorified through all that is said and done in that. So Lord, as churches come back together, Lord, some have already started in other states. Some are just getting ready to start. 
We ask, God, that you just give wisdom and direction. But, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us, come with us, be with us, come behind us, follow us, Lord. Lord, that we would be in your presence, that your presence would be felt and, and, and understood. And, Lord, that you'd be glorified. So, Lord, I do pray especially for uh, Discovery Church, Lord, as, uh, uh, Lord, they may have to find a new facility soon. Lord, I just pray that you would just open the doors there, be with uh, Jerry Fulmer down in Hunt. I ask, God, that you just be with him today, Lord, as he shares the word. Uh, Lord, for Dave Theobald in uh, Dansville at Grace Baptist, Lord, for um, Charles, um, Steve Charles and Joe Butler out there at Canandaigua. Lord, I ask God that just all those that are in our fellowship and those that are uh, around the world beginning to open the word. Some have already done that. Others will yet this later in the hours of this day. But Lord, I pray that wherever the word of God is going forth, I ask God that you would bless it and accomplish your purposes through it, Lord. And we'll be careful to praise you for all that is said and done for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, um, I want to preach this morning on the significance of one. The significance of one. Not two, not three, not 20, not 500, not 1,000. Just one. The significance of just one. For just a moment, the one may seem a bit ambiguous. One what, you might be thinking. Well, before I answer that question, I'd like for you to turn your Bible to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading through the chapter, and you're going to be finding out very shortly what one just means. What is the significance of one? And the text will begin to answer that ambiguous question of what the one is. So if you would, follow along as I begin to read from Luke chapter 15. And I first want to read verses 4 through 6. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he says it. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which is lost. And then I want you to jump over to verse 8. In verse 8 we see, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. And then if you would jump down to verse 11, I want to read one more passage here that answers the ambiguous question that I started with. What is the significance of one? Verse 11 says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to, all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with a prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight am no longer worthy to be your son. It's an amazing thing. Jesus asks a question here. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? The very phrase there, which man of you? 
Which man of you, in other words, there is an assumption here that if you're a man, if you have possessions, if you have any ability to, to do something about it, if you lose only even one, you're going to do something about it and go after it until you find it. There's an apparent expectation that anyone with any number of sheep would do just that. Question, would you do that? He says they're willing to leave the 99 in the group to go search for the one that is lost. There is a significance of the one. The one is so important, it is so valued, that he's willing to give away or, or to set aside the 90 and 9 in the protection of the whole to go find the one that is missing. There is significance of one. And as he finds the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulder. In other words, he literally takes the front feet and the front legs of that sheep and the back, back she, uh, legs of that sheep, and he lays it around his neck and he begins to carry it back to the safety of the rest of the group of sheep, to the rest of the herd. He literally draws that last, last sheep close to himself. Why? Because there is significance in the one. And as he returns home, he calls everyone in for a celebration. Why? Because the lost sheep that is important to him is now regained with the rest of the sheep. It has rejoined the group. It has rejoined the flock. It's important that he be there. And we are going to rejoice because now we are all together again. The lost sheep has been found. And there is joy and excitement in that process. We find there right away in chapter 15 and verse 6. It says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors. And they begin to rejoice over the significance of that one that was lost that is now found. But he doesn't stop there. Here we see a woman that has 10 coins. The Bible does not tell us where they came from or what she had intended to do with them. The Bible only shares with us one simple thought. She had ten, and now she's down to nine. Maybe for some folks, losing one coin might not be that big a deal. But somehow, she lost one of them. Uh, for others, losing that coin might thrust them into full-on panic. I mean, it's so important that I had ten of them, now I've only got nine. got to do whatever it takes to find it, and full-on panic starts to set in. The Bible tells us that she searched carefully until she found it. In fact, the Bible gives indication of how this woman responded. She went and got a lamp. I don't know if it was later in the day. I don't know if it, where she was dwelling was a dark place. But the reality is, she was down there on her hands and knees. She was searching it, and maybe there was a dark darkness. Maybe there wasn't a lot of windows in there, but she grabbed a broom. She began to clean. She began to search until she found it. And so, once the coin was found, in similar fashion to the sheep that was lost and found, as soon as the coin was found, she calls in her friends and neighbors together that they might rejoice and celebrate. What was lost is now found. And once again, I reiterate the fact, I don't know where the ten coins came from, I don't know what she was going to do with those 10 coins. All I know is that she lost one, and it was important that it be found. I don't know if she had a special purpose for them. I don't know if she was going to use them for ministry. Maybe it was all she had as far as to take care of her livelihood and her family. I don't know. But I know that there was significance in that one coin that was lost. So much significance that she was willing to get a lamp get a broom, and search until she found it. And when she did, they began to rejoice together. And then the third parable that the Lord tells us, and I know it's Jesus telling us because as I say often, it's the red letters. Jesus is speaking here and he's giving us one more significant factor about being the one. And in chapter 15, beginning verse 11, there is the story of what some have called the wayward son or the prodigal son. And we know the story quite well. And we're not going to concentrate on a lot of the detail of the story. But as we continue this, we read the final story about this 
father who had two sons. The one son, having asked for his inheritance early, before his father had passed away, he receives it and he goes off to a foreign land, to a far country, and he begins to just use it on a wanton lifestyle. He wastes it, he just flaunts it, and to the point that there is nothing left of his inheritance. Once again, the Bible doesn't tell us how much. It does, it does tell us that he used it on riotous living, on wasted living. But for whatever reason, he has nothing left. And he begins to come to his senses when he begins to realize that as he's out feeding the sheep, and I don't think it's any accident here that God uses circumstances to get our attention. And he certainly used the circumstances in the life of the prodigal son to get his attention. And so he's out there, and once again, a famine has come into the land. And during this famine, he's left with nothing, and he's out feeding the swine. He's out with the pigs, so to speak. And he's feeding them pods. He's feeding them husks. He's feeding them slop, if you will. And even in that moment, this wayward son looks at that slop, looks at that wasted food that they're feeding to the pigs. And he says, man, even that looks good. I'm so hungry. I'm starving. I wish I could even eat some of that. And God's word tells us that he came to his senses and he decided to go back home because he realized that even being a hired servant for his father would be far better than desiring to eat the slop that is being fed to these pigs. And so he goes home from this foreign land. So the father saw him coming from a distance and ran to meet him. He hugged his neck and he kissed him. The father called everyone together, just like what took place when the lost sheep was found, just like what took place when the lost coin was found, and now what is taking place when this son who was lost and is now found took place, he is calling his friends, he's calling in his family, he's calling in the neighbors. They've killed the fatted calf and had a great celebration because the lost son has now been found. Think about that. What is the, so significant about each of these parables, each of these stories? Well, I think we find at least three things that are extremely significant. The first one of these, each of these stories focus is on the one that was lost. The one that was lost. You know, it's amazing to think that God would use the significance of one to teach us the importance of one. One is important, but it doesn't stop there. Number two, there is rejoicing in each of these stories when that which was lost was found. In all three of these parables, in all three of these stories, every time that which was lost was found, there was great rejoicing. There was celebration over what was found. In fact, look with me back in chapter 15, verses 6 and 7. It says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you like that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. You want to begin to see the, the significance of one, you realize that God says one lost sinner is significant. One lost person destined to hell who is now on a path to heaven is significant. And he says there is rejoicing over one who turns his faith in, unto Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 10, and once again, when the coin was found, verse 10 says, likewise, in other words, in like fashion, just like with the sheep, just like the one sinner who has turned, he was lost, he was destined for hell. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now he's destined for heaven. He says, likewise in verse 10, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You think one is not significant? One is incredibly significant. So significant that he says, I rejoice over that one. You know, it'd be amazing if our day and age, if we could just bring everybody who's lost into an entire stadium and say, boom, 
And you just turned your faith to, to Jesus Christ and all of a sudden it's all changed. You're all saved. You're all going to heaven. But God's word reminds us that it often does not work with that, that way. Often it's in the heart of one at a time. The significance of one turning his heart to Jesus. And then we see it again down in verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Think about that just for a moment. The son who had, who had been lost, the son who had traveled to a far country, living in riotous living, as he begins to turn back and come home, his father was looking in the direction that he was coming. Why? He was searching for him. His desire was that he would come home and be right and be safe and be healthy and be found. So even as he was a way off, his father noticed him coming and he ran and met him and fell to his knees, hugged his neck and kissed him. And we see in verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Once again, in every circumstance, when that which was lost was found, they gathered everyone together. They celebrated. They rejoiced. They came together in celebration. And verse 24 says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And then down verse 32. He says, It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So, number three. Each of these stories clearly teaches that God, to quote David Ply, is passionate about finding the one. He's passionate about finding the one. It doesn't matter what the social status of the one may be. It doesn't matter what the academic status of the, the one may be. It doesn't really matter what the emotional status of the one may be. What, is matter, what matters is that God is interested. What matters is that one is significant to the heart and mind of God. And he rejoices over the one that was lost and becomes found. As I read through this passage this week in Luke chapter 15, the first thing that came to my mind is this. I'm the one. Me. Me. I'm a one that was significant to Jesus Christ. I'm a one that Jesus Christ died for. I'm a one that God was so, so desirous to have be, as a part of his family that he was willing to send his, son, send his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross so that I could become part of his family. I'm a one. Is that not significant? That we who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ are a one that was significant to Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing, that you, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ yet, you are a one that is significant to Jesus. You are a one that Jesus Christ is interested in. You are a one that he wants to be, to be a part of his family. So I ask the question, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You are significant to him. So often many people go through life wondering, what good am I? Who does it matter to that I live? Who does it matter to that I'm alive, that I wake up every morning? Does it really matter that I'm here? Sometimes I read the posts of different people when they, when they put their thoughts and their feelings on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram or on Snapchat. And I think to myself, they're lonely. They're emotionally distraught. They're afraid. Life is filled full of fear. And they're just plain discouraged. Living a life of defeat. And they're wondering, who do I matter to? 
What does it matter that I'm alive? Can I just say, you're significant to Jesus Christ. You're significant to God the Father. So significant that if you were the only one on this earth, he still loved you enough to send his son to die for you. That gives you significance. That gives you hope. That gives you the opportunity to look forward to something that is not wishful thinking, that is not just, well, I think it might happen, it might not happen. These things have I written unto you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. You are significant to Jesus Christ. You are significant to our Heavenly Father. So significant that you're a one that matters to Him. And you can be part of His forever family and that you can be loved deeply. Being a one may not always be popular. Being a significant one in the eyes of Jesus Christ may not always be popular to the world that we live in. Uh, Jesus drew near to the tax collectors and sinners. And you would think that, wow, these are some people who are in need. You know, sinners. I mean, who wants to hang out with sinners? Well, in the mind of Jesus Christ, those sinners were significant. Each one of them. So much so that he invested in them. Even those wicked, evil, deceitful tax collectors. Those who would cheat people, deceive people, and, you know, almost blackmail, if you will, to get more money out of them so that they could have a good living. Even they were significant to Jesus. And some of us get the idea that only certain people are significant to Jesus. Those of us who have it all together. Those of us who have a nice car, nice home. We work hard. We have a nice income. And, you know, we have good friends and a good social status. And we don't really do the big, bad, dirty deeds. You know, we're generally good people and kind and heartfelt, friendly people. You know, we don't want to look at those who are impoverished, you know, because they're not as good. No, they're all significant to Jesus. Incredibly significant to Jesus. And can I just say this? If they were significant to Jesus, they should be significant to us, right? If they were significant to Jesus, they should be significant to us. As we go about our business, as we go into the grocery store, as we go to the gas station, as we go to our places of worship, as we go to uh, talk to the neighbor next door, as we talk to those that we meet on the streets, as we're out for a walk, the people that we run into are significant to Jesus Christ. They should be significant to us. So Jesus drew near to tax collectors and sinners. And what happened? The Pharisees and scribes sat around and complained and griped and murmured and got upset and disgusted and frustrated because they were the religious crowd. And Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, it's not always popular being a one. But there is significance in being a one. Jesus was willing to go to the lost that they might be found. And here's the amazing thing as we look at these three stories these three parables that Jesus Christ shares with us. The first one about the sheep. You know, I think it's kind of unrealistic to expect that sheep that had wandered off to find its way back home. Not realistic. So the shepherd left the 99 in the safety of the group to go find the one to bring him back. He had to go get him. The coin was not going to all of a sudden just magically appear in the woman's hand. Wherever it had gotten to, God's word doesn't tell us whether she found it underneath her bed. God's word doesn't tell us whether or not it you know, fell out of her hand and rolled underneath a nightstand, so to speak. God's word doesn't tell us if she dropped it as she was coming in the doorway of her house. It just simply tells us it was lost. But it's unrealistic to expect that that coin was just all of a sudden, well, it's, I looked five times, it wasn't there, and all of a sudden, boom, six, it was there. She had to search for it. 
And the significance of the story of the prodigal son, the wayward son, is that, yes, he came to his senses, but it was amazing that as he started to turn back, his father was looking that direction, hoping, and I would say even praying, that his son would return. And he, as he was looking in the distance, saw his son coming, and he ran out to meet him. And he fell to his knees and hugged his neck, and kissed him, and rejoiced, because he said, that which was lost is found. You see, we can't find something if we're not searching for it. And we go right back to the beginning, in verse 2 it says, And Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Whoa, that's terrible. Jesus Christ? associated with sinners good thing because that's what you were before you trusted jesus christ and by the way that's what you still are you're still a sinner in need of a savior yes living under his grace his mercy yes we have forgiveness but you're not perfect you're still a sinner and the only difference between your sin and someone else's sin is that one might be more visible than yours one might be more visible than the others. The reality is we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus didn't wait for the sinners to come to him. He went to them. Why? Because sometimes people don't even know they need him. I doubt if the sheep that was lost knew that he was lost. Well, the coin is an inanimate object. He didn't know he was lost. It didn't know it was lost. And the wayward son, yeah, I think he came to his senses and he realized that in this famine I have nothing. And he went back and repented. <coughs> Most of the time, the people that we come in contact with, they don't know that they need Jesus Christ. Babies don't know that they need nutrients. And I'm just telling you, some of that Gerber food is disgusting. <laughs> Peas, ugh, disgusting. You know, yeah, maybe with enough salt you can fix that. But by and large, yeah, the peaches and cream co and, co and peach cobbler Gerber stuff, that's good. Cherry pie Gerber stuff, that's good. Squash, eh, not so much. Asparagus, eh, not so much. Babies don't know what they need. That's why they're dependent on someone else, the adult, their mother, their parent, giving them what is good for them. Those that are lost around us are significant to Jesus Christ. They ought to be significant to us, and we need to search them out so that we can share with them the gospel and that they might be found. In fact, Jesus was willing to go to the lost that they might be found. You know, Turn your Bibles to John chapter 10 just for a moment. I'm not going to go through the entire chapter, but I am going to go through a part of it in John chapter 10. This is one of my favorite overall passages in the whole Bible. Um, I, have, I witnessed John chapter 10 live when I was in uh, Ontario, Canada, visiting Eagley Sheep Farm. And uh, I watched this entire passage being lived out as the shepherd guarded, guided the sheep back and forth and left to right and, and so forth. But I want you to realize one verse in this passage, if I could. And can I just say this before I get into this verse? If you want at least one way you can experience real joy... Focus on finding someone who is lost so that they too can be found. If you want joy, I'm talking about real joy. Focus on what is lost that it might be found. There was joy and celebration when the sheep was found. There was joy and celebration when the lost coin was found. There was joy and celebration when the lost wayward son was found. 
If you want joy, concentrate on finding that which is lost, that it might be found. And we see that in John chapter 10. Look at verse 16, if you would, with me. It says, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He says, There are other sheep that are not yet in the fold. You want joy? Go search out the lost sheep and bring them in. Let God use you. Let the love for the significant and the significance of one be what motivates you and drives you. And as a result, you will have joy. I look back, in fact, last week I was, uh, maybe it was two weeks ago now, I was just thumbing through, paging through Facebook, and there was a post from a man that actually led to the Lord probably 12, uh, no, let me go back further. I've been here at Harvest nine and a half years. I was at New Palestine almost five or five years. So almost 15 years ago, I was a guest speaker at a church in Indiana. And after the service was over, this gentleman came forward and he said, Pastor, I need what you're talking about. And I took him behind the stage into a library and I shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he prayed that morning and trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. That gives me joy to see 15 years later him posting on Facebook a verse that God had shared with him that day that spoke to his heart. That he is still walking and growing in Christ Jesus. He was a one that had significance to Jesus Christ. And there are many other ones that are significant to Jesus Christ. And that gives me joy. To know that I had a small part in just saying, hey, I know what Jesus has done for me, and I'm certain he'd do it for you as well. You want joy? You're not going to find it in politics. Trust me. You're not going to find joy in politics. You want to find joy? You're not going to find it in wealth. You may be happy for a while, but there comes a point where the third house, the second boat... The third car is just the thing. It's In time, everything we have is just a thing. I know that when I was in my 20s, I've shared this before, but I used to take the Q-tips and on Saturday morning detail the Aerostar van that I had, the grocery getter as I affectionately called it. But it was my grocery getter. We had a 1987 Ford Aerostar van. Man, I hated that thing, but it looked good. <laughs> we washed it. We polished it on Saturdays, got the Q-tips out and cleaned out the dash, air conditioner vents. This is what we did on Saturdays. Cleaned it up, put tire shine on the wheels, even though it was a grocery getter Aerostar van. You know, comes a point where it's just a thing. You know, in my 20s, I used to make sure the car looked good, make sure it was vacuumed out. I'm lucky if my car gets vacuumed out once every six months anymore. It's just it's not that important anymore. The older we get, the less important some of those things become. But the one thing that ought to grow more important in our lives is the significance of one. One that is lost that needs to be found. You want to find joy? It's not going to be in politics. It's not going to be in things. It's not going to be in activities. It's not going to be in what you can do and can't do. Because what brings you joy when you're 20 is most likely not going to bring you joy at 70. If you're a skydiver at 20, you're probably not going to be doing it at 71. There's got to be something deeper. There's got to be something more significant. And I think it's found in the one that needs to be found. If you look at the picture, 
really shows much more than what is at first glance. They're sheep, of course, and they're all grazing. They're kind of just together doing what sheep do. They're gathered together. They're in a cluster. And it's a really good picture of what's going on in the world around us. There's all kinds of space there, but it seems like people clump together and do what everyone else is doing. But you also see that there is one or two that are separated from the crowd. It's the one that needs to be found. It's that coworker. It's no accident that you work with him or her. It's that neighbor. It's no coincidence that you're their neighbor. It's that friend that you see every so often when you go to the Y or LA Fitness or Planet Fitness. It's that neighbor that you wave at that lives three, do three doors down. It's that one that has significance. And the question I have today that I want to leave you with is what is significant to Jesus Christ? Will it be significant to you? If it was significant to Jesus Christ, if one was significant to him, and I'm a one, and you're a one, and if it was significant enough to Jesus Christ to find us, shouldn't what is significant to him be significant to you? And if you make that significant in your life, you'll begin to see joy that you've never seen before. Just last night, someone came up to me and says, I'm just really discouraged. I'm just frustrated. I see the rioting. I see the looting. And really what is turning into anarchy in some parts of the United States, uh, people making demands on other people, the protests getting out of control, the political parties in shambles, he looked at me and said, I'm just discouraged right now. And that's when I said to him, make sure your focus is on God. Because if it's on CNN, if it's on C-SPAN, if it's on Channel 13, if it's on Fox News, I don't care what your outlet is. If our focus is on anything other than Jesus Christ, you're going to be discouraged. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to have fear. Do I think things are going to get better? No, I don't. I absolutely don't think things are going to get better in our world. I've never put a set of tires on my truck that they didn't wear down and the tread disappear. I've never installed a faucet that after 10 years didn't have a little drip in it. I've never seen a roof last 200 years comes a time 25 27 years down the road where a roof needs replaced things don't tend to get better i've never seen someone make a an investment into a stock and all of a sudden it just go from one or two percent to 27 percent in fact the stock market goes this way then this way and then this way again then a little bit up and then Ups and downs. Things don't tend to get better. I don't believe this world's going to get better. The only thing that gives me hope is the fact that this is temporary. For me, because I was a one who was significant to Jesus Christ, my future is in heaven. And it can be your future as well. And that's when things will get exponentially better. When we all get to heaven. And as the song states. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen. When we see Jesus. Amen. Until then. Can I just encourage you. Make what was significant to Jesus Christ. Significant to you. Amen. And as you do that. You too will have joy. Amen. Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the message of your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you, Lord, that there was significance in one. One sheep, one coin, one son, 
And Lord, through this story, through these parables, you teach us that there is significance in the lost that they might be found. I pray, God, that you would go before us, go with us, and come behind us, Lord, as we seek for the one that needs to know you, the one that needs to be found. Open doors of opportunity, Lord, we pray. And Lord, let us be able to rejoice in what you see fit to do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me encourage you this week to look for the significance of one. To make that one significant. This week, prepare for next Sunday, July 5th, as we come together, as we worship together, as our worship team will be on our new stage. Can't wait for you to see that. And uh, men, if there's a few of you that need help, Monday night, uh, Ed will be here to help lay the floor. I'll be in Mississippi for a funeral. And pray for us as we travel down there and back. And uh, this week, just pray that God would begin to work in our hearts again and afresh and anew so that when we come together, it will just be a great celebration, a great coming together. And uh, so we've had a great opportunity to listen to Pastor Mike and to Pastor Jim and to the worship team, a great opportunity to worship through the word, through the music. And let me just continue to encourage you to worship through your giving as well. Thank you for so many of you have been so faithful during the coronavirus and the ups and the downs. And I know that God's been faithful to me through all this as well. And uh, so let's continue to worship God in that way as well. And let me just encourage you this week, be praying for one another. Every day, whoever God brings to your memory, pray for them. If God is bringing them to your memory, there's a reason why God is bringing them to your memory. They may have something going on that you don't know about. I've usually found that out when God lays someone on my heart to pray for, and then I contact them. There's usually a reason why God laid them on my heart to pray for them. So let me encourage you to do that this week. Lift each other in prayer and get ready for Sunday. And as we come together, we'll have masks here. We'll have uh, every other row uh, taped off. And we're going to come together as best we can. And uh, for those of you that are concerned, we're going to do the best that we can to be, be uh, safe and healthy. So have a great week. We look forward to seeing you Sunday. Take care.